Hello everyone and welcome to episode 93 of the Talking Fitball podcast. My name's Derek Clark and every week we try and bring you a top class interview with some of the most colourful and interesting characters involved in the game. In this latest episode, I sat down with former Dundee, Aberdeen and St Mirren defender Lee Mayer. Lee was in fine form as he told me about the early days at Dens where he'd look on in awe at the likes of Claudio Canigia, Fabrizio Ravinelli and co., Learning his trade during loan spells at East Fife and Falkirk, his brief and forgettable stint at Stockport, falling out with Jim Duffy over his move to rivals Dundee United, where he tells us he received death threats. We hear about his time at boyhood heroes Aberdeen, where he would take on Bayern Munich, the St Mirren years, where he would lose a League Cup final to nine-man Rangers and make amends a few years later. He also tells us about his recent crazy fundraising challenge and loads more in between. So sit back and enjoy the latest episodes of the Talking Football Podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of the Talking Football Podcast. I'm delighted to say we're joined this week by former Dundee, Aberdeen, St Mirren favourite Lee Mayer. Lee, thank you very much for, for coming on the podcast. Thanks for the invite. I, would, I, wouldn't, say, I wouldn't say I was a favourite, but yeah, thanks for the invite. <laughs> that was very nice of you. Um, before we look at the career, um, Lee, of course, uh, coronavirus affecting us all at the moment. In terms of yourself, I know you've got... Uh, your business and what have you there, is it, is it affecting you and your, your family at the moment? Um, it's actually been a very good good for us. The Both businesses, I've got a Herbalife business and I've got a finance broker as well, so both of those are, are booming. So for us, very, very fortunate. Um, I, know that, I know it is tough. There's a lot of people struggling out there just now. So, But yeah, for us, thankfully, we've, we've had a very positive uh, impact from it. But yeah, tough times. Very, very strange times indeed, but yeah, tough. Yeah, it certainly is. Uh, looking at the career then, um, born in Aberdeen in, in 1980, um, always playing football as a, as a youngster, Lee? Yeah, that was a dream, right from a young age. It um, was always, everywhere I went, I had a football with me. I think my neighbours hated me because I was always kicking the ball about the street, hitting cars, smashing their windows, and just everywhere I went, football, 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 football daft. Playing school, at, at school, uh, at playtime, at lunchtime, playing football, rushing home to then play football with your mates. And then your mum and dad were shouting you for your tea. You'd run in, you'd demolish your tea within two minutes. You'd be back out playing again until it was dark. It was literally just football daft. That's all we'd done. Back then, it wasn't so much computers. It was just a case of out playing football with your mates. And, and then obviously managed to fulfil my dream and become a professional footballer, which was great. Yeah. Did, did you have any role models, any, any, any heroes you looked up to? I was a big Aberdeen fan when I was a kid. So the likes of back then, it was uh, Hans Hill House. Oh, yeah. I loved Jim Bett, Ian Jess, all those guys were just, they were heroes. And then yeah. I managed to play against Ian Jess one day and I couldn't believe it. It was just, it was amazing. So yeah, <laughs> it was the, the Aberdeen team from the the late 80s, start of the 90s. That was the team that I looked up to and it was them I, I idolised. Yeah. Yeah, there was some, there was some side. Um, were you always wanting to be a defender, Lee? Did you play any other positions growing up? No, I was a, I was a striker. Wow. I started off as a striker and in my younger years, I think I was I was a lot bigger than people. So, but what I always done is at a younger age, I always played the year above. So I was testing myself against uh, older kids, and as a striker, I used to, I used to score goals for fun. But then <laughs> they, they gradually found out that I was rubbish at that. So I then became a midfield, and then I was rubbish at that. I then became a defender. I was then rubbish at that. I then became a sub. So I worked my way back throughout my whole career. But um, yeah, it's funny. Yeah, so started off as a striker. But then became became a defender in my professional career. Fantastic, and uh, I mean, you started off at, at Dundee, of course. But what happened? Did, did you were you playing for a boys' club? Did they go and send scouts to have a, a look at you? Yeah, that's what it happened back in the day. It was uh, S form, which basically yeah. the S stood for schoolboy form. So when you're at school, you could sign an S form with a club, and I was actually S form at Hearts. So I used to play for my school club in the morning, Saturday morning. I used to then play for my boys' club up in Aberdeen in the afternoon. I used to then quickly have to run, to, not actually run, my, my parents took me to the, to the railway station. I then had to get a train down to Edinburgh on a Saturday night, stayed in Diggs on a Saturday night, played for Hearts on the Sunday and then got a train back up the road on the on the Sunday evening. So I was S form at Hearts and then loved it, absolutely loved it. And then it came to the time of leaving school. So that's when they then have to offer you a professional contract, YTS contract it was back in the day. Yeah. And um, Hearts basically says no, he's not good enough to come full time. But um, so that was that was a dagger to the heart. That was a sore one. 
And then at all, Dundee were interested. So my dad phoned the scout with Dundee, says, oh, look, Hearts have let him go. And Dundee says, we'll take him full time. So that was Ray Farnham. So he was my first youth coach and forever grateful for everything he taught us back then. And amazing days. We've got a WhatsApp group now from, <laughs> so we must be talking, that must have been 1997. So we've got a WhatsApp group now of all the guys and stuff. What a laugh and great memories from back then. So um, yeah, really, really good times. But yeah, so Dundee, that's where it started off. I think it was 1997 I went full time. And as I say, it was a, a great a great foundation for us. Back then as a young kid, when you went full time, you had to do everything. You had to clean boots. You had to do all the washing of the kit. Yeah. You had to clean the stand. Um, we were actually just talking last week in the WhatsApp group because it's obviously been frosty and freezing temperatures. We would be in the digs sitting on a, like just chilling our, on our beds. We'd get a phone call. Guys, you need to get yourself back up to Dens Park now. The temperature's meant to drop tonight. You just need to go and put covers on the park. So <laughs> the old was YTS boys, eight, Oof. nine o'clock at night, freezing cold, pulling these massive covers to cover the pitch so that the game would be on on a Saturday. So, but great times, great times when you look back on it. Whose um, who's boots did you clean there? I used to clean Gavin Ray's. Oh, yeah. Um, Tommy Coins, yeah. absolute legends. So yeah. Tommy Coins just actually lives around the corner. So I see him now and again, bump into him now and again. But yeah, so Ian, Ian Anderson, he went, yeah, he went to play France, for Toulouse. Had yeah. a great career and stuff like that as well. So, but it's, I'm from Aberdeen, Gavin Ray's from Aberdeen. So we became very good mates. Yeah. And um, yeah, and I used to I used to clean his boots. You know, he never lets me live that down. <laughs> um, see, see where, did did the sort of older pros help you there, Lee? Uh, was was how 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 did you enjoy a lot? Did you learn a lot at Dundee coming up through there? Yeah, definitely. We I look back now, and the team was full of professionals. You had guys yeah. like Wally Faulkner, and yeah. Barry Smith was the captain. Yeah. Barry Smith, the captain, he was always up at the front of the running. Absolutely perfect attitude. And you look at those guys, Gavin Ray, guys with really, really good attitudes. And I always remember one of the first days when I went full-time at Dundee and the manager, John McCormack, he says, guys, you need three things to make it. Attitude, attitude, attitude. And that always stuck with me. And I looked at these professionals and I thought, I was just a 16, 17-year-old boy left school. And I came in here and I seen these people working hard every single day and they went on to have great careers. So straight away, that just got drilled into me. You need to have a good attitude. And I, that's, that's one thing that I did have throughout my whole career was I was always dedicated to, to doing the best that I could. And, yeah. I, and I put that down to, that got drilled into me from a young age as soon as I went full time. Yeah, but of course, when you were there, it was a, a bit of a crazy time at Dundee. Um, Ivan O'Bonetti arrives. Um, what was that like when he when he turned up, uh, Lee, as a, as a young player? I mean, some of the players that were being brought in at the club at that time were just, uh, it was madness. Oh, that's the exact word I would use to describe. It was madness. It was just, I was a young boy at the time. Back then, I look back and I was quite fortunate because I was not ready for first team football at 18. Yeah. But back then, they had the under 21 league. So they needed to keep players on to fill that gap between the 18s and the, and the first team. So I, I fit into that category. So I was fortunate because nowadays, if you're not good enough at 18, the chances are you're getting the least because squads are small. But back then, I was in the under 21 group. And so, and then this new manager came in, we're like, oh, bro, this Italian guy, he's going to bring in his own methods. And he definitely did. And he brought in busloads of players as well. And you were just seeing Claudio Canigia, <laughs> Craig Burley, Ravinelli, Fanzi from China. And we were like, who's this guy, Fanzi? We looked him up and he was like, the David Beckham of China. And we're like, these guys are, it was madness. We were in a park in Dundee training at four o'clock in the afternoon, because that's one thing they trained as well. They changed. They changed that. You play at three o'clock on a Saturday, so we'll train at three o'clock uh, every day. So in some of our sessions, we're still standing stand there on the pitch black at half six at night doing training sessions. But it was, it was, yeah, as you say, madness. But you look back on it now, amazing times, playing alongside the likes of Georgie Nanzadze, Claudio yeah. Canigia, Ravinelli, and, and getting goosebumps now to think about because these guys are like world-class footballers. Yeah. See, see the Canadian thing. I remember at the time you're thinking, "Wow, this is." I mean, this is a world superstar, like you say, Lee. See, when he's training with you and that sort of stuff, you being a young boy, you just in awe at the guy. It was, it was. As I say, I never really got to train too much with the first team at that time because I was with the twenty ones. But whenever we could, you were just always watching them. And like I spoke about your Barry Smiths, your Gavin Rays with great attitudes. Kenija came to us mid thirties, I think it was late thirties, yeah. and you should have seen it absolutely shredded. Not a pick of fat on him. And one thing I remember, I remember we were like ball boys for training as young boys. 
it's the first team of training, you get a chance to go up and you're just standing around the pitch, if balls go away, you're getting them, you're tight, picking up cones and stuff, and basically water boys, but I use that as a chance to, to go and watch these professionals. And I remember at the end of a training session one time, Kenija took a bag of balls and he went down to the bottom and it was an empty goal. And he was just at an angle and took the ball and he was just hitting it and he was just trying to hit it in like in off the far post. Yeah. Right. So so we're young boys at the time and there was no goalkeeper, there was no nets. The balls are going into the trees and all sorts. And and then what was said to him afterwards saying, we were sitting laughing saying, ah, look, Kenija can't even score against, the, there's no goalie and things like that he's putting some past the post. And he said afterwards, he says, I don't need a goalkeeper because what I'm trying to do is hit it that close to that post that a goalkeeper won't save it anyway. And it was just little things like that and you thought, well, this guy's played in World Cups, best mates yeah. with Maradona. And you think, here he is, a bag of balls in a park in Dundee, just hitting balls in an empty goal. And you thought, that's, that's the work ethic you need to do to get to that level. So it installed in me at an early age that you need to work hard and you need to have a good attitude just by, just by rubbing shoulders with these guys. It was incredible. Very inspiring. But um, yeah, Learn, learn loads from guys like that. Yeah, but you went on loan, didn't you, to um, East Fife? And that's is that where you, you sort of first made your senior appearance, is that right? Yeah, that was right, yeah. I think, like I spoke about there, the, the Dundee squad was huge then, and there was different yeah. foreigners coming in every day. What they then started doing was taking young Italian kids across. So we were so for us, being the youth team, we were thinking, we're never going to get a chance yeah. here. So um, East Fife wanted me on loan, and Ray Farnan, who I spoke about there, he says... Lee, it's a great chance for you to go and basically it will help you it'll help you man up. It's different playing under 21s on a Monday night where people come off and say, Oh, the result doesn't matter, but you played well. To me, I think that's a load of nonsense. It's about, it's about winning football games. Yeah. And so when I had the chance to go to East Fife, it was a case of manning up. Like we had guys here at lower leagues that were doing this in their spare time that are maybe playing for an extra hundred pound win bonus. To them, that's massive. Yeah. So a lot of things as well going on loan that playing at three o'clock on a Saturday. Lots of people haven't played at three o'clock on a Saturday before. So yeah. it was massive for me and my uh, and my growth. And yeah. I encourage any any young player that got a chance to go out on loan, do it. Because you're playing against fully grown men. You're yeah. playing against people that are wanting to win. And so you need to install that winning mentality in you. So that was, yeah, I, I went on loan because I thought, I'm not, I don't want to sit here another year at under 21s. I want to go and experience first team football and, I think I played about 20-odd games for them and it was massive for my growth. So, um, yeah. yeah, I really enjoyed that. And as I say, I think that must have been my first... Uh, that must have been my debut in professional football. Yeah. Can you remember much about your, your debut? I mean, did it go by swimmingly or was it a, a sort of baptism of fire sort of thing? I think I remember briefly that I was playing right back and I remember it snowing um, <laughs> and, and that was it. But one thing I do remember from my, my time at East Fife was East Fife is the windiest park in Scotland. <laughs> yeah. between, it's between... It's between there and a broth, right? And I've got funny stories from both of them, actually, because I went on loan to Falkirk the year after. Yeah. And then there was another story from a broth. But at East, at East Fife, I remember one time, their goalie launched a massive kick. And I must have been about 30 yards out. I was a centre-half. And it was bouncing around at me. So I just left it and thought it was going to go back to our goalie. But our goalie had came running out. The bounce had went massive. And the next thing I hear was a cheer. So their goalie actually scored against us at Bayview. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I, I don't know if I should have probably just headed it, but it was a windy night at Bayview. You don't want to be heading a ball. It's come from 100 foot in the air. So I just left it for the goalie and he, he never really dealt with it well. <laughs> uh, see, when you were at Falkirk, you played at the old uh, Brockville, didn't you? Yeah, it was brilliant. That was another one for me that the next year I went there with like uh, um, Kev McAllister, yeah. good, good professionals. Uh, Alex Totten was the manager. So yeah. People that had great experience in Scottish football and the old Brockville was amazing. The, the atmosphere was incredible. But And that was, again, because that was a step up for me. That went from yeah. the bottom league at East Fife to the what you'd call the championship nowadays. So that was a big step up for me. And again, a big learning curve. I think I maybe played about 25 games. Yeah. And uh, But yeah, the Brockville was brilliant atmosphere. A few good cup games there. What I'd done was I went there, got some great experience. I then went back to... I decided, right, I'm going to go back and I'm going to push for a place yeah. in, in the first team, see if I can get in amongst the squad and see if Ivano Benetti would like me. And I think he did like me because Falkirk drew Dundee in the cup. And a funny story here, actually, because Lee Wilkie <laughs> came on loan to Falkirk with me. Yeah. And so Lee Wilkie was obviously in the first team. I think he had a fallout with Ivano Benetti, so they sent him on loan. So he came on loan with me to Falkirk. So when Dundee drew Falkirk in the cup, Dundee never, Ivano Benetti never let Lee Wilkie play because Lee Wilkie is also an international and very good player. 
he didn't even know that I was a young boy at Dundee that was on loan. So they let, they let me play in the game. And I remember we drew the we drew the first game, I think it was one each. Yeah. So the replay down at Brockville, I think it was on a Tuesday or a Wednesday night. So it was a great night. And I remember the first time that he that he found out that I was a Dundee player was I had a 50-50 tackle with Gavin Ray, my best mate. We lived in the house together. And I went over the top of the ball. And then he supposedly Benetti, Benetti was at the side going mental. Oh, look at that tackle, look at that tackle. And someone said, he's actually a Dundee player. So I think from then on, he respected me a bit more. Yeah. And as I say, when I went back in uh, to the... When I went back from Falkirk to Dundee to fight for a first team place, I managed to get in about the squad, and that's when I was training with these guys every day, and that's when I learned so much. It was yeah. yeah so going out on loan definitely helped me in my, in my early years, but um, yeah, great times at Dundee, like you say, amazing players, great experience, and and it's times that you look back on now and you think, wow, very very grateful to have had that in my career. Yeah, see the see the two or three season you started playing more for Dundee, didn't you? Was that when Jim Duffy came in? Yeah, that was. Uh, Benetti's parted way and then Jim Duffy came in that season. And I remember the first game of the season, I made my debut, left midfield. The midfield oh. three was Gavin Ray, Georgie Namzadzi and me. It was the same day Nacho Novo made his debut as well. We drew one each with Hearts. Yeah. Um, but incredible, great experience playing at Dundee. I loved my time there. As I say, they were... Um, that's where they, they gave me... My first life experience, can I say that? Probably yeah. I can, because I'd left school as a kid. I went there, it was oh, he, a young kid joining the real world. They gave me the foundations to go and build. But but looking back on that season, it was a great season, as I say, with guys like Caballero, Georgian and Zadze. Yeah. Great, great professionals, great players. And we went on to get to the, the Scottish Cup final as well that year. It was, it was a great season for us. But what I will say about that team back then was, and I don't, I've never seen this in any other dressing room I've been in, the squad was had a ridiculous togetherness yeah and it's quite strange saying that because normally if there's loads of foreigners in a, in a, in a dressing room you get little cliques here so you'll get they don't mean that but it's just to sit in, the, in yeah. amongst themselves but this was ridiculous like we would all go out clubbing together we would go for meals together <laughs> with our partners everything and half of us couldn't even speak the same language but it really <laughs> was looking back on it now an incredible dressing room and, and we're still mates to these days so it was uh, definitely good times but but that season yeah that was when I made my breakthrough um, great to be involved and yeah Jim Duffy was great for me as well in my career because as I say he gave him my debut he was a centre half as well so he made me into the centre half and yeah very very grateful for all the tips and the help that he gave me in my, in my early years Yeah you mentioned Ravinelli earlier um, I remember um, I was speaking to John Hendry played with him at Middlesbrough a couple of years ago and he said if he was chocolate he'd eat himself what, what, what was he like uh, to play alongside and, and to just to hang about with? He's another superstar, isn't he? He is like mega superstar, right? And, yeah. and the kids of today won't understand who Ravinelli is, but yeah. this guy played for Italy in World Cup, something I'm sure, and like yeah. umpteen caps for Italy. So, But he came to us again at his later stage of the career. And we, uh, Dundee, we got to Europe and we played Perugia in the European yeah. Cup. And Ravinelli was from Perugia and this was just as he was signing. And I remember when we went to the airport after the game and there was a big delay. And um, so we're sitting there, Ravenel went up and had a word with the guy. And, and the guy and they just let us all through. And I was like, wow, this guy's an absolute legend here. He was just he just had that aura about him. When you seen him, you thought you were just like smarting up, and you're like, Oh my god, there's Ravinelli. It was there's not many people have got that, but when you see him, you just think you're, you're proper starstruck, and you're like, This guy's a legend, but you will not meet a nicer person. He used to he used to come out with the boys and stuff like that. Like you would think, you would think, oh, he's a superstar, he's a yeah. star. he's not going to associate with us. But he was just one of the boys. He was yeah. just one of the boys and just a great, again, great professional, uh, very hardworking and just a very humble person. I think if I'm right, he's got the fastest hat trick in Scottish football. Yeah, I um, think he's right there, yeah. I think he came on in a game against Clyde. We were struggling in a cup game against Clyde. Ravenelli came on and scored a hat trick in six minutes. It was, uh, <laughs> Crazy, but like you say, madness times, madness times to think Ravinelli scoring a hat trick for Dundee against Clyde on a Tuesday night. Madness, madness. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it would have been amazing as a young player. You mentioned that that Scottish Cup final that that season. Um, unfortunate to, to lose to, to Rangers narrowly, wasn't it? Um, what's your what's your memories of that day and, and playing at Hamden? Must have. What was it like? Is it an occasion to play in? Oh, I remember walking out. That was obviously when fans were allowed into stadiums and it was, yeah, yeah. It was, it was mental. It was a great atmosphere because Rangers were going for the treble. Yeah. And I remember the fireworks and that going off. I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. Yeah. Um, but I just remember being a great occasion and 
We played very, very well. Very, very well. We had great chances. I remember Barry Smith hitting the post from about 25 yards. Yeah. And I thought, well, we've got a chance we've got here. And then I think it was Amoruso scored with about yeah, 15 minutes to go. Yeah. And then obviously Rangers going to win the treble. But oh, devastating to not win it after doing so well. But it was amazing for Dundee to get to a cup final. As I said, it's not happened for a long time. And yeah, I don't know when the next time will be. But yeah, very, very good time. A special day, but you go to cup finals to win them. And unfortunately, yeah. we failed on the day. But it was a great experience. Yeah, absolutely. Um, of course, you go back then. We'll touch on that uh, later on. Um, see, when you left Dundee, you went down, you down, down south. Um, didn't quite work out. What was what was the thinking be- uh, uh, behind the, the move to Stockport? The thought process was go down south, and I'll be honest, as a footballer, I want to earn as much money as I possibly could. You've got a short career, yeah. So you want to you want to have a great career, but you want to obviously think that I've got a family. I need to look after people. I need to provide for the rest of their life. And it's a short career, retiring at 35. So I thought, if I go down south, do well. You see players getting signed for, like, I'm just going to pick club at random, say Coventry signing somebody for three million and they're yeah. on 15 grand a week or something. I thought, if I can go down there and get a couple of moves, I could be set up for the rest of my life. Yeah. It didn't work like that. I went down to Stockport. <laughs> I hated it. I hated every minute of it. And I was back up in the next transfer window. So, um, no, it, it, it didn't work. I went down there and, um, no, it, it didn't work at all. It was a lot of travelling. Um, my girlfriend, my wife, who's now my wife, she yeah. was, we were homesick. Um, I was out training. She would come, I would come back, and like I say, a lot of travelling. You're away maybe a Friday, not getting back till a Sunday morning. Yeah, it was. And then when you're in and out of the team, you're not really playing as well. It was just a case of, now nah, let's just get back up the road as, as quick as we can, and, and that's what we've done. Yeah, they had some crying players. I was looking at some of the players they had at that point. You were there, like uh, Ashley Williams, Danny Griffin, John Daly. I think was there. Adam Lafondre, uh, Ricky Lambert as well. Was he there? Yeah, you have a look. You look at the team now, and you think, why were they struggling? You had yeah. uh, it was me and Ashley Williams at centre half. He's now went on to be the captain of Wales. Yeah. Um, as you say, Ricky Lambert playing for England, uh, yeah. scoring scored goals for England. Um, Warren Feeney was up front with Ricky Lambert. Yeah. Um, Adam Lafont. He was just a young kid coming through. He's went on yeah. to have an incredible career. Jim Goodwin was there as well. John oh, Daly. Oh. It was uh, it was an incredible squad that we had. Um, yeah. Just, as I say, I, I never really enjoyed it and I was just looking for the, the earliest opportunity to get back up the road. And yeah. as I say, I took it with both hands as soon as, I, as soon as it came available. Yeah, so you go to Dundee United then and was there any other uh, clubs that in for you, Lee? Because um, going to the, uh, having played for Dundee, was that something you had to think about? It was. The, 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 there's a big story behind this, actually. So, <laughs> um, so I, was, I was coming back up to sign for Dundee United. It was all organised. And then it fell through at the last minute. Yeah. Um, Dundee United spoke to my agent and says, we've got too big a squad. We need to get three. These, these things happen in transfer windows. People try to get players out to free money to get players in. Yeah. So they says, we need to get rid of three players before we can get Lee in. So I was like, all oh, right, okay, great. So as I say, I was hating it down there. So Jim Duffy, who my manager at Dundee, phoned me up. He says, Lee, I've heard the Dundee United deals fell through. Would you come back to us? Yeah. And I says, right. I says, let me, let me go and make a few conversations. One of the reasons I left Dundee is because they were struggling and they went into administration and a lot of boys got sacked. All the foreigners got freed and, and it wasn't in a good place. So I thought, it's a good time for me now to leave, go down south. But what made this decision even harder was because, as I said earlier, I got on very, very well with Jim Duffy. I wasn't having a good time in Stockport. I'd be phoning him every couple of months. He'd be saying, Lee, keep yourself fit. You don't know when you're going to get an opportunity. So yeah. he was like a, a father figure to me sort of thing. Yeah. So when this opportunity to come back to go back to Dundee came up, I thought, right, it's a chance for me to go back up the road. I obviously know Dundee well. I know Jim Duffy well. I said to him, I says, right, I'm going to make a few phone calls. I'll phone you back in an hour. So obviously I phoned my agent. I told him about the opportunity. I phoned a few people I respect in the game. I mentioned Gavin Ray earlier. I phoned him and said, look, Gav, what do you think? Yeah. Phoned my parents. In that time, my agent then phoned me back and says, Lee, Dundee United have came in and offered you more money and they'll sign you tomorrow. And I was like, right, okay, now got a predicament. They'll offer you an extra year as well. And I'm thinking, right. So I then, I weighed it up and I spoke to a few people again. I said, I told them the opportunity. Dundee were bought in the league. Dundee United were signing guys like Derek McInnes, Paul Ritchie. They were pushing yeah. for Europe. Yeah. So for me, as a career move, it was the right thing to do was to go to Dundee United. It was the hardest decision in my life because like I say, I loved my time at Dundee. I still look at the club. It's probably the first result I look for on a Saturday is Dundee because them and Aberdeen, as I say, they were my two teams growing up. And um, so it was a really hard decision. 
had to phone Jim Duffy back and say, look, Dundee United have came back in for me and I'm going to go there. And he went mental. And I, it, was a hard, it was a hard conversation because, like I say, he was like a father figure to me. He'd yeah. helped me through my career. And I said, look, they've came back in. They've offered me more money. They've offered me an extra year. And he just went, well, uh, you've used me to go and get more money out of them. And I said, look, Jim, that's not the case at all. I said, yeah. maybe that's what my agent's done. But I swear, my kid's life, that is yeah. not what I was intending to do here. Um, and I said, Jim, I'm going to have to go and take that offer. Just with the league position, what they're looking to achieve. Obviously, the financial side of it as well. And then so he, he basically hung up on me. And so the next day, I was driving up the road to, to sign for Dundee United. And um, gets a phone call from Robert Grieve at the Sun. He's a reporter at the yeah. Sun. And he phones me and he says, Lee, he says, what have you done? Said, what do you mean? He says, we... He says, we have just had the best press conference you can ever imagine. Jim Duffy has just destroyed you in the press. And I was like, oh, no. So I never thought anything of it. So I got gets up to Dundee at night time. And I'm in the chairman's office at Dundee United. And in Dundee, they've got an evening paper called the Evening Telegraph. Yeah. And it's sitting there. And I turned it over. And there's a big headline, Mayor the Judas. And I was like, oh, you are kidding me on. So... The press had went to town and that. Jim Duffy had, had says, look, oh, he said he'd sign for us. He's now went and signed for them. He's went across there to get more money. And I was like, Phew. so as you can imagine, that was a very enjoyable time going back to Dundee United. And so the Dundee fans where I had a great relationship with then hated me because I went to Dundee United. So I ended up living in Aberdeen and traveling to Dundee every day. So, but um, wow. yeah, so that, that was a story and how I ended up at Dundee United. That must, that must have been tough for you, Lee, because, um, like you said, losing all, getting all that ill feeling, it must have been hard mentally to sort of deal with that and getting ripped in the press and what have you. Yeah, it is. It's, it's a side of football that fans don't really see. Yeah. Players are under constant pressure. They're yeah. scrutinised in everything they do. Um, social media forums were, were going crazy. and yeah. I was actually getting death, death threats on my phone. It was, it was crazy times. That's why, that's why I moved and lived in Aberdeen. Yeah. Um, but... It, it, look, it's one of those, and, and I totally understand it. If Dundee fans had seen that side of the story come out in the press, they're going to think, oh, he hates us, blah, 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 yeah. et cetera. But over the years, I've got my side of the story. I've spoke to loads of Dundee fans and actually got on really well in, in Dundee now. And uh, yeah. Look, I've got great feelings for the city of Dundee. My twin girls were born there as well. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's part of football and it's, uh, it's part of the job that players need to deal with. Yeah. Who's it, who's it, man? Was it Ian McCall or was it Gordon Chisholm there at the time? It was Ian McCall was the manager. Gordon Chisholm was his number two. Yeah. Um, the frustrating thing about that was, I think about four or five games in, I ruptured my medial ligament. Yeah. So I was out. I was out for about a year. So I think I only played about four or five games for Ian McCall. And then yeah. that time I was out injured. I think Dundee went, Dundee United went through about four managers. Uh, yeah. Billy Dodds got the job. Uh, Gordon Chisholm got the job. Craig Brewster got the job. Yeah. And then Craig Levine came in. So yeah. it was a very unstable time for Dundee United. A lot of things happening, players coming in, players going out, managers coming in. And um, but yeah, so it was it was a tough, it was a tough three years uh, getting yeah. over the, the injury and stuff like that. That that injury plagued me the rest of my career, I would say. But um yeah. again, it's it's part of football that people don't really see like, that players are playing what, what maybe 80, 70% fit most of the times. But like I say, it's part of the job and I'm not moaning about it, you just gotta go on with it and do the job you can. Yeah. Did you play in the, the Dundee Derby? Oh, I got injured. I got injured a week before the Dundee Derby. But yeah. um, so I remember being sitting in the director's box and I looked across and it was a massive banner. The Dundee fans had made up saying Mir the Judas, but no, I never played in it. So um but I must I must have I, I can't remember. My memory's terrible. See looking back at games and stuff, my Yeah, yeah, terrible. yeah. But I, I must have played on in derby games, but I remember being for Dundee. Uh, used to love the derby. Absolutely yeah. love the derby. I don't think, or maybe I think I would maybe have played about ten or twelve derby games. I think I lost one for Dundee. And wow. um, it was incredible how much we Dundee were on top back then. But yeah. when I moved to Dundee United, I don't know. I could not even tell you if I even played in a derby game or how what the record was. And so that that sums up a bit my time at Dundee United. Very very frustrating. Never yeah. really got a run of games. Injury. Uh, but yeah frustrating and then as I say moved to Aberdeen on the back of that and that, that was a dream come true they were they were my team growing up as a kid I already told you yeah. about supporting them the Hansel House Theo Snelders Ian Jess etc so to sign for them was just that was a, that was a dream come true yeah absolutely and, and Jimmy Calderwood was was a manager at the time wasn't he so um, I mean what was yeah. he's, he's not doing too well at the moment God, uh, God help him but um, what was he like to play for 
No, it was good. He was, he was full of energy. One thing that did annoy me was I always used to speak about Rangers all the time. Mad <laughs> Rangers. Fan. And me being a me being a mad Aberdeen fan, I I I never took that too well. But um, yeah, like you say, it's it's a shame to see that he's not he's not doing too good now. But yeah, he was always full of energy. He was always a bubbly character and um, had his ups, had his downs, like all managers do. But a really a really nice guy. And I remember um, when when Aberdeen signed me and. The, the, Russell Anderson signed for Sunderland at the same time. I was looking forward to go along there and play alongside Russell Anderson. And then Jimmy Calderwood, it was a, I remember one of the first press conferences, I, I looked at the, pa- the papers and it says, don't worry, we've lost Russell, but we've gained a player that can play five positions in Lee Mayer. So straight away, the Aberdeen fans thought, well, we've got a player here better than Russell Anderson. And I was like, oh, jeez. So um, I was under under pressure right from the start there. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, as, as you say, talking about Jimmy, uh, great character. Yeah, um, yeah, just uh, sad to see the way he is now. It's funny you mentioned that he talks about Rangers. I had uh, Bert Conterman on one of the first pods we done. He said he he had him as a coach at Willem too, and he talked about Rangers all the time. That's what Bert said. And they used to wind him up by wearing green clothes because he just hated everyone wearing green, so they used to turn up with with green stuff on and all that sort of things. And they used to he used to go well, mad. Oh, it was it was constant. It was just Rangers, 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 and <laughs> we had and he's uh, Jimmy Nicholl was his number two, and he was the same. God. And and in the Aberdeen dressing room, we had Xander Diamond and Chris uh, Chris Maguire. Yeah. They're the exact same, but Selick. So we had yeah. Rangers daft and Selick daft. And I'm sitting here thinking, hang on, I'm playing for my boyhood heroes here at Aberdeen. I don't care about the old firm. I yeah. literally don't care about the old firm. People say to me, oh, but you must support one of them. I'll be honest, I don't care. I yeah. literally don't care. Especially being up there. What's that? Especially if you're up, if you're up there, you know what I mean? You're, you're more likely oh, to be an Aberdeen fan or something. Well, well, that was it. I was born up Aberdeen. Used to go to Pataudry, yeah, um, every single week. W- watch the games, support the games, support them. Had Aberdeen posters of players up on the wall. Everything you name it, and the old firm it just did not interest me one little bit. So when you had that in the Aberdeen dressing room, it used to drive me mad. Used to drive me mad. <laughs> See, going to places like uh, Parkhead and Ibrooksley was that something you, you enjoyed? Loved it. Loved. Used to love going to the big games. Yeah. The, Remember playing in Europe and stuff like that and just thinking, yeah. wow, this is incredible. You used to get goosebumps and you think, this is what you want, testing yourself against the best. But back then, you would literally, the bus would be pulling up outside Celtic or Rangers. Yeah. And the mindset back then, when you've got to think, right, Rangers had guys like Michael Moles, Alberts, um, yeah. the, the De Boer brothers. Um, Rangers, Celtic had guys like Moravchek, Hartson, Larson, Sutton. You would literally be getting off the bus thinking, Guys, I would take a 3-0 defeat right now and get back oh. on the bus. That, that's, that was the mindset going in there. And yeah. I always remember, um, 17-year-old, the first time I was on the bench for Dundee, and um, it was a Tuesday night, I think, at Celtic Park, and we were down 5-0 at halftime. And I remember I remember in the first half, Robert Douglas was the goalkeeper for Dundee at the time. I think he got a nosebleed. And Jimmy Bone says, and this was in the first half, Jimmy Bone says, Lee, go and get warmed up. Because Robert, Robert, Robbie Rayside had to go on goals, and I have never been so nervous in my life. No way. And I was like, oh my God, 17-year-old boy. But I always remember thinking, wow, this is, this is the games you want to be involved in. But um, yeah. yeah, that was the mindset back then. But going to those arenas are just, they're amazing. They're, yeah. they're one of the best in the world. And when they're full, and the fans are in full flow and stuff, like that, it's really is intimidating places to play. You need to be mentally strong. Yeah. You need to be able to take the ball. You need to... A lot, I've seen a lot of big players freeze in these in these situations, but that's when you need to be mentally strong to um, take the ball and, and and still play as as normal as you possibly can. But it is tough when you've got fifty thousand people hating you and yeah. dreading you and demanding you to go and mess up. So it's great great arenas and great occasions to play on. Yeah, you mentioned they're playing in Europe. Of course, Aberdeen had that amazing run when you were there. You played against. Um, Bayern Munich, the, the Pataudry game, thinking back to that now, it's just, it's crazy to think, and some of the players you, you came up against, the likes of Luca Tony, uh, Miroslav Klose was there, wasn't he? Um, Schweinsteiger and all that, and Podolski, that, it's just, they rhyme off the tongue. What, what was that like to play in? Again, like you said earlier, it was, it was madness. Yeah. That was the, I remember walking out on that game, and I thought, and I got goosebumps. A young boy used to go and sit in the Merkland end, walking out, the last 32 of the European Cup, playing against Bayern Munich, Pataudry full. The yeah. atmosphere was incredible. Yeah. Goosebumps. Again, I'm getting goosebumps. Getting goosebumps this whole, this whole <laughs> year. But again, it was just an incredible experience. I actually got tagged in a post the other day because I think it was on Valentine's Day. It was 13 years ago today. Wow. It seems like yesterday. It seems yeah. like yesterday. But 
when you look back then, the, the squad that they had, you had Philip Lamb, full yeah. of internationals, like ridiculous internationals as well, not just playing for like no, star players. National, yeah. national teams, like playing for Germany, Brazil, all sorts yeah. of national nationalities in the team. And I remember at the time someone done a, a comparison. I think they had between them, it was about 600 caps in their starting team. We had we had one. Scott Severin <laughs> had one cap, <laughs> but um, but we, we drew two each at Pataudry, yeah. and we were running two one, and they got a dubious penalty. Jamie Langfield saved it, and then they scored a rebound. So um, yeah. um, oh, but great occasions. Like I say, that's one of the highlights of my career was that game. It was just yeah. an incredible experience. Being an Aberdeen boy as well, being an Aberdeen fan to to go and experience that was just incredible. Yeah, you you were an unused sub, of course, at the Allianz at the return leg. Was what was the feeling going into that game? Was it just sort of damage limitation? Did you know that you were up against it? I, I was gutted. Um, yeah. So uh, Jimmy Caldwell, that was that was one of many occasions. I I chapped his door and had a conversation with him because um, Jimmy Caldwell was renowned for changing his team. We just had a great result at Petardry, drew it to each, and he made one change for the second leg. That, that's that's how we got humped five one because I was wrong. <laughs> um, yeah, so it was. We were actually going there quite confident, thinking, guys, we've just drew with them and we possibly could have beat yeah. them. But I think we were down two 0 after about eight minutes, and it was just yeah. waves of attack after waves of attack. But um, it's the first time I've experienced on a bench. I, I was I was in a huff. I'm going to be honest. I was sitting in yeah. a huff at being dropped, sitting there on a the bench, and I was amazed because they'd heated seats, and I was just sitting pressing the button and heating the seat up the whole time. It was incredible, but. What a stadium. What a yeah. stadium. Swung basically like it was back then you used to get baths and dressing rooms. Yeah. Um, I think they've probably still got I think they changed it up here because of hygiene and things like that. But this bath was more like a swimming pool. In the end, oh. we, we had just been beat 5-1, humped 5-1 for Bayern Munich, been put out of Europe. And we were all doing cannonballs and stuff in this big swimming pool. <laughs> and it was just great, great experience. But um, yeah, what what a what a journey that was in Europe. Very we've done well to get out of the group stage and then obviously yeah. Bayern Munich knocked us out. But, yeah, but great times to look back on. Yeah, definitely. Um, you left in, to join St Mirren in 2009, but were you sad to leave Aberdeen at that, that point, Lee? It, it's something that I always look back on now and think, did I do the right thing? Um, Jimmy Calderwood offered me a two-year contract, and yeah. again, it was another tough decision for me because, like I mentioned, Jimmy Calderwood, he changed his team a lot, so I was in one week, I was out the next week, and I was at a stage in my career where I wanted to play every week. Yeah. And again, I spoke to people I respected in the game, and he says, Lee, you're only, you only get one shot at a career. Don't look back on it and say, oh, I was spent more time on the bench than I did playing. So I made a career decision. Um, yeah. And I thought, right, I'm, I'm going to go and try and play regular football. So that's when I then went and signed for St. Mirren. And looking back now, it was a great decision. If you think about that, it's a quite tough decision to make because yeah. the team you supported your whole life, you've moved back to your home city. My wife was from Aberdeen. We went to school together. So we've now moved back. We had just had twin daughters. They were literally six, seven months old. So the easy option would have been for me to go and sign a contract with Aberdeen. Um, but for my career, I wanted to go and play every week and I wanted to go and, like I say, get more games and, and go yeah. and experience things. And it turned out to be a great decision. I think I played uh, over the next um, four and a half years at St. Mary, 149 games, got to two cup finals. So it turned out to be a, a good decision for me in the end. Yeah. See, before we touch on St. Mary, um you played with Andrew Considine at Aberdeen. I mean, he's still there, which is incredible. He's just, uh, well, recently last last year, got capped by Scotland for the first time as well. Is it, what was he like as a young boy? Is it great to see him getting recognition there on the, the national stage? 100%. I, I spoke about it at the start of the call. and said that attitude, attitude, attitude. Yeah. And Andy, you look up the word attitude in the, in the dictionary and you'll get Andy Considine. I remember being, um, he's in the gym every day. He looks after himself. He'll admit himself. He'll put his hands up and say he's not the best player in the world. Yeah. But he'll give you 110% every single week. You can rely on him, which you want as a manager. And he's got an amazing attitude. So yeah. I remember my first pre-season. I think Andy was away with Scotland on their 21s and he caught up with his late. And we were in Egypt and Andy's fitness was quite a bit behind because he'd missed a bit of pre-season. So we had finished doing the pre-season session and Andy was away doing fitness stuff on his own. And in a dressing room, you can get slaughtered for that, right? Oh, look at you. Go and do sit-ups on, on the manager's desk so he sees you and stuff like <laughs> that. Right? Because you say you're sucking up to the manager. Yeah. But Andy just never let that uh, affect him. And I remember this. This must be, well, this is what, 15 years ago? Yeah. And I remember it then thinking, that guy's got a great attitude. You then used to see him in the gym every single day. Andy's shredded. Andy's not got a pick of body fat on him. As I say, 
I, I was up at Pataudry, the new training facility Aberdeen last year, and I seen the new gym they've built, and straight away I thought, oh, Andy Constantine is going to absolutely <laughs> love this, right? But he's just an, an incredible attitude, and yeah, he deserves he deserves all the all the credits he's getting. But it just shows to any any young kid out there, just keep on going, keep on sticking in. You never know when your opportunity will come. And as I say, Andy Andy's a perfect example of that. Yeah, when you went to St Mirren, uh, it was Gus McPherson, wasn't it? There was a manager there. How, how did you find him? Yeah, got on really well. It was Gus and Andy Millen was his number two. Yeah, got on really well. They were um, they were defenders that that liked to play football as well. So that fitted fitted what I like to do. And um, but it was great. We went there and you went from Pataudry, Aberdeen. You're under pressure to win every single week. From St Mirren, we went there, and the bonus was guys stay in the league. And I thought well, that, so that took a bit of change of mindset. And I thought, hang on, guys, we need to be aiming surely better than this. So it was a case of let's try and get in the top six. So, yeah. but but it was it was great times, as I say, um, great bunch of boys. What an amazing dressing room, an unbelievable yeah. dressing room. Guys like uh, John Potter, um, yeah. Jack Ross, Billy Mehmet and stuff. Hugh Murray, great dressing room, down to earth guys, hard working guys, and. Um, I think was it that year? Or was it year after we ended up getting to the cup final? So yeah. again, it was we've done great things um, with just a group of hardworking boys that were just all focused on just moving forward as a squad. Great times again. Yeah. Before we're talking the the, the cup final, you played in that game when you yeah you pumped Celtic four 0 I think it was Tony Mowbray's last game, I think, or something like that. What can you remember much about that game? No, I can't because we were still <laughs> drunk from losing the cup final. <laughs> 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 the, it was so I, you're obviously away to go and talk about that cup final but that cup final was on the Saturday or Sunday and yeah. this game was midweek and we were that distraught after the cup final we all just went out and got smashed we were just <laughs> just got drunk and drowned our sorrows wow and then so we thought right okay we've got Celtic in a couple of days so we're thinking oh no what's going to happen here and we went out and pumped him 4-0 it, yeah. it was madness it was, yeah um, yeah like you say that was that ended up being Tony Mowbray's last game yeah um, but like Robbie Keane and stuff like that playing in that Celtic yeah. team and you think again looking back on the career and you think things that you achieve and you think not many people can say they beat Celtic 4-0 so um, yeah no. good, good great game to look back on but um, like I say I can't remember too much because I had a hangover <laughs> so that that cup final then the Rangers one it's all, it's, it's known of course as the, the nine man Rangers uh, final win um, is that one that got away Lee do you think oh 100% yeah it's, it's something now that still eats me inside the fact that we never won that cup final because yeah. 11 v 11 we were probably the better team yeah yeah and we had great chances remember we Stephen thompson having a shot got cleared off the line and uh, david Barron hitting the crossbar from about 30 yards as well and then yeah. and then they got a man sent off i think it was lee mcculloch got sent off first and we thought what a chance we've got now yeah. what a chance and then the center half the young danny, boy Wilson, danny wilson it was danny wilson that was yeah. it he then got sent off and i remember now and it's the one part of my career that I could go back to and say, Lee, calm down. That's when it would have been. Yeah. Because I remember running about saying, guys, we're going to win this. We're going to win this. Yeah. And then what it then needed then was calm heads. Yeah. But we just went gung-ho. We went gung-ho. And even when I explain this goal here, we're getting, thinking back, I'm thinking, what on earth were we doing? Yeah. 11 men against nine men and you get caught in the counter-attack. Yeah. Madness. Absolute yeah. madness to think of. At the time, I remember thinking we should have put on two wingers and just played four up front and just spread them. Yeah. Put two wingers and spread them. But Rangers, with Davy Weir's experience, they played us. They played us, and I was like, ah, oh, fair. Looking back now, you think fair play, experience yeah. on the day. Um, they sat in and he says, right, come and try and break us down. We never, but we kept pushing and pushing and pushing. I was centre half. I ended up at like left wing trying to play the ball into Craig Dargo. Yeah. Craig Dargo tried to dummy it. You know that one you see in strikers when trying to dummy it. It goes into the yeah. second striker. David Weir read it, passed it out wide, passed it up. Ten seconds later, Kenny Miller sticking a, a header in our bottom corner, and I thought you are kidding me on. But yeah. oh, definitely looking back, like what you say, that is one that's definitely got away. I think if I'm right, that was Gus McPherson's last game in charge of St. Mirren. I think yeah. he, I think he got sacked after that. But um, oh, it was. A, a sore one, still a sore one to look back on now. That was a, a really, really sore one to take. Yeah, uh, Daniel Lennon took over, and um, for me, he had St. Mirren really punching above their weight. Uh, I thought he'd done a, a great job. What was, what was your, your th- what was your um, feelings towards Danny when he took over? It was one of those you thought you, you didn't know what you were getting because I'll be honest, I didn't really know who Danny Lennon was. He'd came from, he'd done well with Cowden Beath, 
he'd got them back-to-back promotions, so deservedly got his chance of, of a bigger opportunity. And he'd done yeah. well. He came in and he wanted to play football. So again, which was brilliant, he took in Tommy Craig and the two of them was play football, play football, play football, which we loved. Yeah. We then started signing a few big players, Gary Teal, uh, Stephen Thompson, Nigel Hasselbanks, so with a great squad. Um, I think we finished eighth in the league, which was the highest for St Mirren. Yeah. Um, and then obviously we got to the other cup final in 2013. But um, yeah, Danny Lennon, he'd have learned a lot. What he'd done was he then went and signed a lot of young players on smaller wages. Yeah. So we had a huge squad. I remember one day looking at it in training and with a first team squad and with a reserve team squad training. Yeah. And this didn't happen these days. So I think he went and he signed a lot of players from the younger leagues that weren't good enough rather yeah. than go for a smaller squad with quality, which he ended up doing in the, at the end. And that's when we then got, ended up getting our success. But yeah, for St Mirren, as you said, you're probably going to touch on this now, to go on and win the cup was just oh, incredible. The highlight of my career, as I say, as a young kid, you dream of walking up the steps at Hamden and lifting a trophy. And to do it was just incredible. Again, you, as you might exit, uh Expect I've got goosebumps even thinking about it. Great yeah. times, absolutely amazing times. Yeah, that final though. I mean, you came on as a sub. Were you disappointed not not to start on that on that daily? I was, I was, yeah, because uh, there's a story behind this as well. Actually, <laughs> um, so I'd played. Um, Jim Goodwin was the captain, and yeah. Jim Goodwin's legs had gone a little bit this time. So Danny Lennon started playing him at centre half, but Jim Goodwin had done his calf eight weeks before the final. Yeah, so. I, I had played all the all the games leading up to it, and um, I think it was on the sat the ten days before it, we were up at Dens a game against Dundee midweek, and I felt something pop in my stomach, and I had to come off, and I was like, oh no, please tell me I've not had a serious injury ten days before a cup final. Yeah. So then on the Saturday, I never um, I never played, so I was rested because it was the cup final. But I don't think I could I could I was fit enough to play anyway. And then I remember reading in the press, oh, yeah, Lee's out for the rest of the season. And I thought, hang on a minute here. What, why is this? And it came yeah. from Danny Lennon. And I always knew that, that Danny Lennon was going to try and get Jim Goodwin back into the team. He's going to, he's his captain, he's, 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 he's his main man, right? So yeah. I thought he was looking at this as an excuse to drop me. And it was an easy decision for him to just put Jim Goodwin back in. So I then remember going to the physio and saying, oh, what's going on here? I, I'm, I'm still in contention for this game next week. So... What, what happens the week before the final is the team went up to St Andrews for four days just for a training thing, just to get together for team morality and things. Yeah. And um, I never went. I stayed back with the physio because I had a scan booked in, in Edinburgh because I thought, no, I want to get this. I want to get this diagnosed because I feel every day that I'm getting better. So then I went to see the guy in Edinburgh and he says, no, nah, it seems fine. Try training and see how it goes. So I spoke to the physio and then the physio phoned me and says, Lee, Danny Lennon says, get up to St Andrews now. So I was like, brilliant. Trained, felt brilliant. So I thought, right, superb. We've got a cup final at the week. Uh, we've got a cup final at the end of this week. I'm feeling fit. I'm buzzing, ready to go. So I'm available for selection. So we're leaving St Andrews on the Tuesday night. And then Danny Lennon pulls me and says, Lee, we've got a reserve game tomorrow night. I want you to go and play in that just to make sure you're 100% fit. And I was like, what? We've got a cup final in four days and you're going to risk me getting injured for a cup final. It's like you're wanting me to break down so you've got an easy decision just to put yeah. Jim Goodwin back in. So it, this was this was hilarious when you look back on it. Now, me and Danny Lennon standing arguing in the streets of St Andrews. Um, but when you look back on it now, we were both just passionate about winning a cup final. That's all yeah. it was. Um, and I said, it's like you're wanting me to break down. And I says, right, OK, so I've missed two days training and you're making me play in a reserve game. Jim Goodwin's not trained for eight weeks. Is he playing in the reserve game? No, 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 no. It's not to do with Jim Goodwin. I says, well... Fair enough, I'll play in the reserve game. He said, I just want you to play 45 minutes. I says, right, fair enough, play 45 minutes. So as you can imagine, I tiptoed through that reserve game. I don't think I touched the defender. I was like, I'm not done anything. And then at halftime in that reserve game, just went and got showered, and that was me available for selection. But yeah, um, yeah it was... So to not play in it was, um, was disappointing. But in the end, in the end, I was just glad to be involved because... It, Ten days earlier, I thought we had a serious injury, and I thought, as I say, I was going yeah. to be out for the rest of the season. But, um, but like you say, to get on, it was uh, I got on with the last maybe four or five minutes. So yeah. I think I touched the ball three times, so I've got a hundred percent pass ratio. I <laughs> know uh, not many people can say they've got that stuff. <laughs> and of course, you, you saw it out because um, you were three one up, and then they scored a late goal, didn't they, Hearts? But were you thinking to yourself that you're not, you're not, you're going to win this one as as you've lost it the last two? 
it was, um, yeah, well, I thought at half time, I'm going to be honest, Hearts battered us the first half. And yeah. they were up 1 0. It could have been two or three. And we scored before half time, going in at one, one each. And I thought, we're winning this. Yeah. We are winning this cup final because if not, a game would have been over already because the chances at Hearts missed. Craig Sampson has a few great saves. And then um, it was just one of those. And you thought, this is happening for us. But yeah, yeah that's so. Yeah, so it was like it ended up being fourth time lucky World Cup final because there was one with Dundee United as well that we lost against Celtic. Uh, yeah, one of those, yeah. As, your, as your career's coming to an end, you're thinking, "Am I ever going to win anything?" Yeah. Uh, and like you say, it was just it was just amazing when that final whistle went. It was just it was madness. It yeah. Ended up being I think we got drunk for about six days afterwards. <laughs> it was just great great times, really yep. good times. I was going to say that because St Mirren don't win many trophies, so Paisley must have been uh, bouncing for a few nights after that. It was amazing. It was. We had, a, we had a big party organised back at a hotel, the Glen Hill Hotel in, in Paisley. Yeah. And then the next day, all the boys, um, we agreed to meet up at like one o'clock in the afternoon. So we met up in a pub in Paisley. And I think the whole of Paisley must have knew we were there. And you just literally could not get in this pub. <laughs> so what we then decided to do was, we decided to do a pub crawl so that every pub in Paisley would benefit and, and make yeah. lots of money. So we ended up at one, I think it was down the bottom of the hill on the left, Cafe Borgia, I think it is, I can't remember. Yeah. And... It was amazing because the guy just says, all the players, you can come in behind the bar and just help yourself to drink. Wow. So we were just walking in, pulling ourselves pints and just handing all the fans and stuff. Like it was great times. We actually had to leave that pub because we drank it dry. And then we then just went into the next places. But, but like you say, it was amazing. I remember looking back and it was like a Monday afternoon and this pub was massive and there's people in there on his chairs with St. Mirren flags flying. So really, really good times. And like I say, it's, it's memories that we'll look back on the whole of Paisley well and they're just yeah. really, really good times. Yeah, there's some they had some great players in Murren at the time, but some young boys coming through, like Sir Kenny McLean, John McGinn, of course, was coming through, and uh, Aaron Moy was there for a little bit as well. They'd go on and have uh, tremendous careers down, down south. How, how, how good were they? Very good. Very, very good. I remember, I remember seeing John McGinn in his very first day and he was just a young boy, skinny wee boy. Yeah. And Davey Longwell, the youth coach, says he's got something special. But yeah. whether he fills out as a... As a man, I don't know, um, yeah. but obviously he's went on to do that, and he's he's, he's basically going to be a superstar. He is really that good. Kenny McLean was another one coming through. I remember I spoke about Lee Wolke earlier. Lee Wolke is one of my best mates, and he had he had, uh, went down the route of wanting to become a football agent. And he said to me at the time, he says, "Lee, have you got any good young kids coming through? Because I want to sign up young kids and help them throughout their career. Don't just yeah. want to be an agent that's making money out of them in January. I want to really help them through their career." Yeah. I said, there's this young kid coming through, Kenny McLean, and I think he's going to be brilliant. Yeah. So I set up a couple of meetings, and Lee Wolke and Kenny McLean had a few uh, had a few meetings. But back then, to become an agent, you had to sit uh, an exam and pass yeah. your exam. So Lee Wolke had his exam in about five, six weeks' time. Um, so when we had our first meeting with Kenny, Kenny was delighted to sign up, but Lee Wolke had to pass his exam first. In that five, six weeks, Kenny made his debut and just... And just let everything up and yeah. I think every agent in the UK was after him so Lee Wolke yeah. ended up losing out on him but right at a young age I remember playing a reserve game and thinking both footed the game's too easy for him he's just he's got an elegance about him and I, I just knew then a great talent and as I say he's went on to fulfil that now playing now playing in the Premiership so yeah. and it's the same with John but when you look back St Mirren had an unbelievable youth policy coming yeah. through guys like Jason Naismith went on down south he's now obviously back up at Ross County yeah. but Really, really good young players that came through and on to have good careers. And yeah. um, that's down to Davey Longwell. I think he went to America as a coach. I think he's at a team down south now. I can't remember who it is, but um, yeah, great, a great trainer, a great coach. And as I say, the kids coming through was just just incredible. Yeah, but you went and joined uh, Partick in uh, January 2014. What, what was the thinking behind that? Was it just to get regular game time there? Well, basically, St. Mirren didn't try to get me out. As I say, I had a, a few fallouts with Danny Lennon and stuff. He'd been telling me yeah. that I was free to go. And it was one of those that I didn't want to go. I, I loved St. Mirren. What we yeah. achieved, I'd moved down here, a really family club. They helped me and my family when we moved down here and stuff. So I had great feelings for the club and I didn't want to leave. And I decided to, to stay and fight for my place. Yeah. Um, but I, I, got, I got treated bad in the end. I was They were making me train with the kids and stuff oh. like that. And, it's one thing that, that I look back and I think I would never do that to a player. But no. like I always said at the start of the, of the podcast, attitude, attitude, attitude. I went and I trained with the kids. And Davey Longwell, the coach, he says, Lee, we, when you were training with the kids, we were recording a DVD because we wanted to, we were doing some passing drills and stuff. 
and we wanted it to go to every youth team academy. So the new, so from under 10s, 11s, 12s, this is what we're looking for, the movement, the passing and stuff. So they wanted that to come through. Rather than wait till a kid gets to 18 to learn it, they wanted the kids to know about it. That So they're passing out this DVD to all the young kids. And he says, Lee, I'll look back on you training then. And your attitude was unbelievable. And I told all the young kids, that's how you train. And a lot of people, when they're binned out with the first team, they'll just throw the dummies out the pram. But I never, I, I said to myself, I'm going to fight to get back in the, in the team. Yeah. And I managed to do that because Danny Lennon had lost five games in a draw. I think it was maybe six. And there was rumours that if we had lost the next game, he was he was losing his job. And it was I'd always remember it. It was against Aberdeen at St Marin on the Friday night. And Tommy Craig pulled me on the Wednesday and says, Lee, you're playing. And I'm like, all right, okay. And so I went from training the kids to then playing on the Friday. And we drew one each with Aberdeen, eh, which was a great result back then because Aberdeen were like a team that some of don't draw or get points from Aberdeen. Yeah. So we then drew with them. We then went to Hearts on the Saturday. We won 2-0. After the game, Tommy Craig says, guys, I never normally do this, but Lee Mayer, absolutely outstanding performance. Possibly my best performance for St Mirren. Wow. But then the next week would we'll be Inverness 4-3. So from Danny Lennon losing five or six games in a row, we then picked up seven, game, seven points out of nine. Yeah. And then he dropped me again. And I just thought, nah. I thought, I've tried. I've really tried to get back in the team. I've got back in the team. I can't do any more than what I've done. Yeah. So it was time for me to then go. My contract was up at the end of the season anyway. So I just said, right, I'm going to go to Partick until um, the end of the season and see what happens. And went there to Partick. And Alan Archibald had said to me, he says, Lee, just keep us in the league. Um, yeah. played, every, played every single game, managed to stay in the league. And again, a great dressing room. An easy dressing room to fit into. Good bunch of boys. And yeah, as I say, we managed to achieve what we were set out to do, which was to keep part of this on the league. Yeah. And then from there, you go to Dumbarton, but it never quite worked out there, did it? Yeah, I know you had uh, a move that never sort of worked for you. Yeah, it was my first time in my career that I'd went part-time. And yeah. I'll be honest, it was the it was the move from full time to part time that I just couldn't get used to. Um, yeah. Going from training every day to it's your full time job. It's got everything you've got to then training two times a week. There's guys not turning up for training, which I totally understand because they've got their day job, which pays yeah. their bills, which looks after the family. Um, you've got guys that are there in training and they're knackered because they've just done twelve hour shifts. And like I said, I'm I'm an all or nothing kind of guy, and I found it very very difficult to adapt to full to part time. Yeah. And that's why I think it was around about the February or March time that I just said to the manager, Ian Murray, I said, look, let's just call it a day here. Um, not enjoying it. So in my head, I had retired, but yeah. I'd never really put it out there. I thought, that's me. I'm just hanging up the boots. I'm retiring. And yeah. then I just left it till the end of the season. And then I got the opportunity to become assistant manager and at Stranraer. So I thought it's a route that I wanted to go down was coaching. Yeah. And so, so I jumped at it. But yeah, it was, as I say, it was the... the the moving from full-time to part-time, I just found it very, very difficult to deal with. Yeah, and hanging up the boots, Lee, was that something you were comfortable with um, or was it something that, that you were sad to do at that point? No, I'll be honest, it was it was one of those. I was sad. Yeah. Um, as I say, football, I've played football since I was a young boy, like I've spoke about. The dream was to play football. All I ever knew was football. Yeah. So it was one of those, I thought, right, um, to not have football. Going from full-time training every single day to training two nights a week, you're doing nothing during the day. It was quite, it was quite tough, and I've then studied quite a bit about life after football, and I now understand why footballers suffer depression, bankruptcy, and divorce within two years of retiring from full-time football because making that transition is very, very tough. It's not just me that finds that tough. It tends to be a thing in the, in the whole of sport, not just football. So um, I, I was going through that transition, and um, yeah, it was tough, but. Like I say, I'm, I'm very, very busy now with my two businesses. I've got two young daughters. Uh, I've got a wife. So I, I tend to find that if I keep myself busy, then yeah. then it's fine. But if you do sit and you you do think about your, your career, this is probably the first time I've actually looked back and, and spoke about my whole career. And yeah. um, you, you do tend to think, oh, I do miss football. But like I say, on a day-to-day basis, um, I'm very, very busy nowadays to to miss it, if that makes sense. Yeah, and you said that you've got your own uh, businesses as well. If, uh, what what sort of work is it you do now, Lee? And how, how do people sort of get in contact with you? Well, when I was coming to the end of my football career, one of my mates, David McCracken, who had played yeah. with, at Dundee United 10 years previously, he approached me about this opportunity with Herbalife. And I didn't know what it was. I didn't have a clue, but I said no for nine months. <laughs> then when I, when I was leaving, uh, as I say, when Danny Lennon was trying to get him out of St. Mirren, 
it's the first time that I've actually thought, my football career is not going to be here forever. What am I going to do after football? So at the same time, my wife was getting made redundant. So we were a bit panicking in the house. And I thought, yeah. right, Dave McCracken, he messaged me again and says, look, there's a good opportunity to make money here. So I looked at it and I was amazed. So I started building my Herbalife business seven years ago. And that, that's now, so basically with that, I help people, I help people set up their own little part-time business to earn income from home. And I help yeah. people get fit and healthy, which I'm passionate about. I really like yeah. it because I've been involved with sport. So I love that, but I only do that part-time, but it's, it's grown crazy. It has literally grown crazy. I didn't think, I knew it could grow like that, but I didn't think it would ever happen. Yeah. And it's now financially more than I ever earned playing football, which is incredible. Wow. And it's my, and it's my part-time job. It's, it's, a, it's a huge opportunity. So I want to help other footballers for yeah. when they retire from football. So there's an opportunity there that I can help other footballers, but um, it's whether they're willing to look at it. That's the hard part. Because I wasn't willing to look at it. So I understand. They just think, because you think as a footballer, I'm going to retire with all my millions and I'm going to put my feet up. I now know the stats that less than 1% of footballers can retire when they retire from football. They need to go and work. So so that was one thing that I got involved with. But my day job is I'm a finance broker. So I help businesses get money. So yeah. um, it's very, very simple as that. I help businesses with cash flow. If they're looking to go and buy assets, I help them get the funds for that. So it's uh, not very interesting. It's different to kicking strikers and stuff. But like <laughs> I say, it's... Uh, needs must after football you need you need to generate income and you, you still got family to fend for and stuff so yeah so that's that's what i'm up to these days yeah and you had that stint of course as a coach at strunrar is that something you, you you'd sort of consider down the line going back into the, the coaching side of things yeah as a footballer the, the national the the natural thought process was i'm going to become a football coach because like i say football was all i knew left school straight into full-time football and I loved it. So I'd done all my coaching badges, my A license, my B license. And I then got the opportunity to go and be, as I say, I'd unofficially retired. But then when the opportunity came up to go and be the assistant manager at Stranara, I jumped at him. Um, I didn't know Brian Reid, um, but he was looking for a centre half and he was looking for a, an assistant manager. I didn't know I had to be the centre half part of it because I was already chucked the playing part of it. But um, I was very excited about the, the assistant manager part. But when I went there... I soon found out that he was more interested in me playing rather than being his assistant manager. So yeah. that, again, was very, very frustrating. And I'll be honest, I would have left then earlier as well. The yeah. reason I never is because we were on a brilliant run and we ended up getting to the playoff final and we, we yeah. lost out in air. So we lost out to air on penalties to get promoted. So um, that's the only reason I never left is because we were on a great run. But yeah, it, it wasn't enjoyable because he had his way of coaching. Yeah. And me being an up-and-coming coach, I had my different... It was like chalk and cheese. Yeah. The way he wanted to do it, he was more like a school teacher and, and shouting at people. And this, I was more like, well, we need to educate players. We need to yeah. make them better footballers um, and actual coach them and help them get better. Uh, that was the way I wanted to go about it. But it was, yeah, look, it's, it's a learning curve. And as I say, it's, it's something on the CV that I tried. Would I ever get back involved? I've possibly been out of the game too long now to get back involved. But... Like I say, it's all I ever knew. And, and once you're involved with football, you love football. So there's always going to be something that would draw you back in. It would need to be the right opportunity for him. As I say, I've got, I'm, I'm busy just now with two businesses. I've got a wife and kids and stuff. So it would need to be the right opportunity for me. Also as well, we're now settled. I've, yeah. I've lived in this house now for nearly 10 years. In my playing career, the most I've ever lived in the house was two years because like I, I say, we went from Dundee to Stockport to Aberdeen yeah. to Dundee, now down to Glasgow. So we're always moving all over. Like I say, to go and uplift the family and move them about now, it would need to be the right option. But look, you never say never. You don't know what's around the corner in life. Yeah. And recently you've been doing a, a, a crazy fundraising effort. I was reading, was it four miles every four hours for 48 hours? What, what was all that about? Yeah. And what, was, what was the thinking behind that? Well, here's the truth. There was no thinking behind it. <laughs> I, didn't think it. I wouldn't have done it. Um, so I started, like most people do, in January. I says, right, I'm away to go and get my act together. I'm away to go and set myself a challenge for January of running 100 miles. So I started running 100 miles in January and I was listening to an, uh, a podcast while I was out running. It's about a guy called David Goggins and he's a Marine and he's got like a ridiculous mentality. He's just, yeah. he's unbreakable, right? So, and he spoke about this challenge for 448, which as you said there, you run four miles every four hours for 48 hours. And I thought, I'm going to do that. So... I found out about this on the Wednesday and I says that I'm going to do it on the Sunday. So I started on the Sunday. So it was on the Friday and I says, right, if I'm doing this, 
I might get a bit of attention. So I'm going to try and raise money for a charity, see if I could raise 500 quid for a charity. So I spoke to Libby, who uh, works at Back On Side, who's a mental health uh, charity, which there's a big, big thing in mental health just now. A lot of people struggling. We've spoken at the start. Yeah. That it's been a tough 12 years for people, so mental health's a big, big thing just now. So I thought, so I messaged her and I says, Libby, I'm doing this run on Sunday. How do I set up a Just Given page? I didn't even know how to do that. So she sent me a link back saying, Lee, you're absolutely mad, but here's how we do it. So I set up that link, and then basically a week later, we'd raised over 12 and a half grand. So it was incredible. But yeah. going back on the challenge, the toughest thing I've ever done in my life. I massively underestimated it. Um, it was I started off doing the runs at about 38 minutes yeah. for four miles, and then the last run took me about 54 minutes, I think it was. So it was just, I was just, I was going on nothing. The thing that was getting me through it, was all the messages on social media, was all yeah. the people donating money. I seen all those donations come in. I thought, right, okay, that's that's going to keep me going. And Libby, the woman from the charity, she messaged me halfway through it saying, Lee, you've raised three and a half grand now. That is equivalent to 76 counselling sessions for people. Wow. And when she said it like that, when she said it like that, I thought, wow, this really is not about me anymore. This is about how many people can we go and help here? So, yeah, it was just a case of grinding and getting through it. But the hardest part was the lack of sleep. Yeah, it was uh, basically hardly slept for two days, yeah. and then the thought process of you finished a run, and then you're up doing another four miles in three hours. You are just thinking, oh, this is terrible. But um, <laughs> again, again, it's a great thing to look back on and say that I've done. And as I say, the fact that we raised twelve and a half grand for the charity as well is is, is amazing. Yeah, it's absolutely unbelievable, isn't it? It's a, well, well done on it. It's a terrific uh, cause. You've got any uh, any fundraising plans for the, the future, Lee? I have. Yes, I have. I've got I've got the bug now, right? So. <laughs> I've got another. I've got another idea. Um, I'm not going to reveal it just now because I've not actually confirmed it. And if I do say it out loud, it means I'm committed to it. So <laughs> yeah. um, this is possibly just as mad as the last one. But um, I've thought of a way as well that could hopefully generate maybe five times as much money for the charity as well. Wow. So um, that's what we'll need for that to happen. Is we'll need for we Nikki to let us out the house. So hopefully, what comes <laughs> over. And, and things are back to normal. So I've got that one penciled in for around about July time, wow. but it's not confirmed yet, but it's there is something possibly in the pipeline for that. Yeah. Watch this space. We'll look forward to it. Well, Lee, it's been absolutely sensational having you on the podcast. Thanks very much for, for coming on. No, it's been great for the invite. It's, as I say, it's great to look back over my career. I've never done it before, and it, is, it makes you appreciate what you've done and what you've got. So uh, thanks very much for the invite. That was episode 93 of the Talking Football podcast with Lee Mayer. As ever, I hope you enjoyed it. Remember, you can listen to any previous episodes on pretty much all podcast platforms. We're also now on YouTube if you just search for Talking Football. You can follow us on Twitter at Talking underscore Football and we're on Facebook as well. And be sure to check out and subscribe to the Talking Football website. It's just talkingfitball.co.uk. If you want to sponsor the podcast, you can now do just that if you just visit the Get Involved page on the website or email us at contact at derekclarksports.co.uk. Hope you can join me again next time and I'll be chatting to former Rangers Hamilton Chesterfield and Grimsby star Phil Bonnyman. But until then, keep safe. Bye for now.